0: confidence we can trust the lord holds us fast at this time we want to look to the lord in prayer let me mention uh, we received a kind note from uh lori cook to the tbc family i, I won't read uh read the entire epistle uh, but i will just say uh, she says thank you for all your prayers cards offers of condolences over the last few months and during the process leading up to and after john's departure into glory and so then she just says that the prayers of the saints have been so sustaining and so, so appreciates uh, the service that we had for John and the testimony of our, uh, their, our care for them, flowers from the church. And so as she looks to the Lord in the next chapter, she asks for continued uh, prayer, and we will continue to pray and support her through that. So we, uh, I'll, I'll have this card available for you to read, but uh, we appreciate Lori and John. We rejoice with John for his presence and glory. We pray for Lori. Uh, as she continues, uh, and miss, uh, with him there and her here. Uh, let me mention too; we can be just continue praying for uh, Daryl as he's recovering from his uh, heart surgery and uh, some of the issues that have come along. We're going to pray for his uh, strength and healing and, and protection and encouragement. And you know of concerns also that are in your heart. So let's take some moments before the quietness in the quietness of our heart before the Lord. And then after some moments of prayer in our heart, then I'll lead us before the Father. Let's pray. heavenly father we we come as you have called us to on the lord's day to gather with your people to lift our hearts in worship to bow our hearts in prayer to open our hearts to your word and father as we come today to contemplate what you've told us is your plan for the future help us father to uh, trust that you hold us as we look at a world that is uh, spinning so far from you, increasingly dark. Father, how wonderful it is to know that you hold us fast. You sent your son to die for us and you will keep us. And so, Father, I pray that we might rest assured in your co- and confident in you that you will hold us and keep us for yourself. Uh, Father, we, we pray for those in time of need. We pray for our brother Daryl as he continues his recovery we pray for strength and for healing and for wisdom in his care Uh, father we pray for comfort in the midst of the uh, pains that are accompanied but father we thank you for the gift of medicine we pray full strength and recovery for him father we pray for any others that are dealing with illness today that they might know your your health your healing your restoration your strength father we do want to pray that for our sister Anne. Uh, who serves you in Suriname back in the states these days uh, dealing with medical issues. Father we do pray uh, for full restoration to health. We pray for wisdom in her care and as she uh, knows that she needs continuing uh, medical uh, follow-up as she returns to the field. Lord I pray you'd direct her on how that's to happen. Uh, We pray for our brothers and sisters at IBC Lord that they might know your Blessing today. May they know the presence of Christ and may they rejoice to worship you and serve you. And Father, I pray for, for them and for us that we might be found faithful, faithful witnesses for Christ and a faithful light in, in our community, uh, that we might show Christ forth. And Father, that you might bring many to yourself to grow in grace and to know you as Savior. We pray for uh, our nation. Uh, we're in the midst of a time of elections we pray your sovereign hand would in mercy use that process to raise up a leader for us uh leaders for us in the in the white house in the congressional house in the 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 local governments how we pray for this process father that you in mercy would give us leaders who would lead us in righteousness and truth and in justice we pray for our nation as we face times of uncertainty overseas for wisdom. And we pray, Father, uh, for the people of the Ukraine dealing with the invasion and assault now for so long from Russia. We pray for the people of Israel as they're dealing with the um, the Hamas and, and, and dealing with the aggressive terrorists who still hold so many hostage. Lord, we pray uh, for the, the the deliverance of those hostages and for peace to be established there we pray for our brethren in parts of the world father facing severe persecution and just ask lord that they might know wisdom from you protection from you guidance from you and boldness to know what it means to be a faithful witness in such times and lord as we now gather we pray how you would guide our hearts open our hearts that you would be glorified in this time and all this we do pray in jesus name amen At this time, the men will come forward and receive our offering. Stand together with me as you're able. We'll sing the doxology together. This is the Sunday when we have our annual prophetic update, uh, where we uh, look back over the past year and we see how the events of the year fit into what God says is going to be happening in the end times. We're not going to, in any way, try and uh, set a date or make predictions, but uh, what we are going to do is, looking at what the scripture describes about the end times we're going to look at our current times and say are there things that are pointing to the fact that we're getting closer and and things are getting more and more in place to fulfill what the scripture says now I'll already mention if you weren't here this morning for the first hour in in the Sunday school hour this morning we walked through what we call a an overview and and gave you the grid um, that helps us that that we're going to be assuming as we continue on and so if you need to you can uh, look at that online and, and, and uh, see that review and get a picture of what we're saying. But uh, this morning, we're going to walk through more of the, how the scriptures, uh, the current events fit with the scriptures. Just to start, we might want to look at a couple of verses that I, I want to read. And we'll read a few during the program as well. But in the what's called the Olivet Discourse, this is the the teaching our Lord gave to his disciples they were sitting on the Mount of Olives. That's why it's called the Olivet Discourse. And they looked out at the temple and said, Oh, isn't that beautiful, Lord? And, and the Lord said, Well, the day's coming when it's all going to be knocked down. And they said, What did it tell us about this? Now, what does it, is this the kingdom and, and, and events we're hearing? And, and Jesus said this in Matthew 24, verses 32, 33, and 36. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know it is near at the door. But of the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And so he is teaching us that we're supposed to uh, look at world events and, and sense the, the, the approach of Christ. And he kind of at times will, will chastise them. You know, you can, you can look at the cl- clouds in the sky and know what the weather's going to be tomorrow, but you don't pay attention to what's happening in the world to see God's hand in history. So uh, he says we're to, we're to look for the, the signs of the approach of the season. But he says, but don't try and set the date. Now, remember, we, there was a book back, was it 1988 or something? I uh, Was it 88 Reasons? Christ is Coming Back in 1988. Well, you can get that pretty cheaply now. Um, <laughs> And then was it? I can't remember. Was it the next year? Or when, or was it eighty nine? Reasons it's eighty nine, and you know, just and all these date setters embarrass themselves, and in, I hate to say it, um, kind of smirch the the smudge the the reputation of Christ, because they make it act like this is something Jesus said. And I remember th- that time there were even all these things. It's absolutely certain. Here's the guarantee, and then the world laughs and says, "Oh, really." And so we're not going to, Jesus said we can't know. And so if someone says, I know when he's returning, you can do what you often do during my sermons. Go ahead and turn off the listening switch. No. Uh, but, you, but you could just know that this, this, this person is not thinking biblically. It may sound impressive. And this, you know, so, so I just mentioned that we don't know when. We're not setting the dates. And I always like to say, I can guarantee you this, we are one year closer than it was last year. Um, you know, and, and, and look at Paul. Paul even talked about, you know, he, he mentioned the rapture and said, and we who remain shall meet the Lord in the cloud. I think he had the hopeful anticipation it would happen in his lifetime. I think that's how we're supposed to live, that it's going to happen in our lifetime. Um, I remember hearing Dr. Walver, the prophecy, uh, you know, expert, And he said he was often accused of not buying green bananas because he didn't think they would last long enough to, to ripen before Christ returned. So that is a question that to be thinking as we go through this. What if I believed Jesus was coming back today? Tomorrow, this week. How would that affect my priorities? How would that affect how I live? So keep that in mind as we begin. And so uh, I'm going to follow an outline here that's, and I'll say I I can, I'll try to make available later on a, uh, let me tell you how I do this. I I look at what the scripture says about the end times and I've kind of developed an outline of about more than a dozen kind of indicators. And then through the year, I watch the news for things that point to that. And, And honestly, this is not in any way a complete list these are samples but I have uh, notes of about 200 pages of articles that I've copied off during the year uh, and again this is just a sampling and, and some of the things are so blatant I don't even bother getting articles I'll just mention some things but so the first thing that we, we talked about in, in, in Sunday school is <clears throat> when Christ returns the next event that there is nothing that has to happen before Christ returns for the rapture where he takes his church into heaven That could happen at any moment. But um, after that, the tribulation begins. The the seven-year period of tribulation begins with a peace covenant established by the Antichrist. And so what I'm going to do is walk through these events and say, what are the things in our day that show a readiness for for biblical events? Um, And so the first one is I want to talk about is the whole concept of the Middle East peace. Um, In in the scripture, it says the the, the Antichrist will establish a peace covenant. You can see that in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Um, In this year, there hasn't been a lot of activity in the area of uh, Middle East peace. Um, uh, During the Trump era, there was a tremendous amount of interest in Middle East peace. Remember ancient history, the Abraham Accords? Um, there was there was an incredible and shocking uh, movements, um, but things have not been so active lately, and that's probably a fruit of um, the priorities of different administrations. But some things that that help us think about that. Um, for example, uh, some Saudi leaders tell Jewish group that they're ready to normalize with Israel, but first. Need to normalize with the United States. So what we're saying is, the Saudis are. Everybody was kind of looking and saying, um, some others have made peace or have have normalized, in a sense, relations. These Abrahamic accords with Israel. So these Arab nations saying we're going to cooperate more, trade and things like that with Israel, where they used to be, they wouldn't touch them. Uh, The Saudis did not participate in those. But they're, they were starting to tell Israel, you know, uh, we think we might be interested. And they were, they were telling people we're, we're moving in that direction. In fact, that's one factor that led to the, the, the October 7th attack from Hamas. Because once that happened, you see the Saudis step back and say, okay, we can't normalize with this war going on between uh, Gaza and Israel. Um, but but, but there's, there was talk about this idea of a Middle East peace thing. And, and I thought I would just show you, there's been talk in recent years, uh, an interest in Middle East peace. For example, in 1978, there are actually people here who weren't alive during that time. Now Some of you remember this. Remember when Jimmy Carter brought in uh, Sadat and uh, Menachem Begin, and they, oh, they're all looking happy, and, and things happened. Uh, there was some peace agreements that happened in a remarkable way, and I won't get into all that. But that just let's, let's see if we can't bring peace in the Middle East. And then uh, Bill Clinton, in 1993, the Oslo Accord. And he brought together, again surprisingly, uh, Yasser Arafat, head of the PLO, and Yitzhak Rabin, uh, head of Israel, and, and, and made discussions. Then in Camp David Accord in 2000, once again, Yasser Arafat and the head of Israel. Then under Bush, Annapolis, 2007. By the way, so how are we doing on Middle East peace these days? But they keep trying. They keep trying. Some people ask me, do you think we'll ever have peace in the Middle East? I am convinced we will when Jesus is ruling. But not until that. But they keep trying. <clears throat> uh, then there was the uh, 2010 uh, under President Obama. Uh, in Washington, where several got together, not to Mahouma Abbas and others, Hosni Mubarak of Egypt, King Abdullah of Jordan. And so all these efforts, can we bring peace? The Abraham Accords of 2020 under President Trump. But, and then here's another thing that kind of, so, so the idea is, is there a desire for Middle East peace? Yes. Is there a, a, a a way to move forward. And one of the things that strikes me is have you heard about recently, and I guess they've reached something of a conclusion, the, the genocide trial of Israel? South Africa brought charges in international court against Israel accusing them of genocide, trying to wipe out uh, a people. Um, well, they were not found guilty of that. Two things to notice. First of all, the idea that there's an international court that can try a nation that shows the idea of a world government we'll, we'll look to that but, but that they are trying to deal with the, the conflicts in the Middle East um, just in 2024 now here's where I cheat this is supposed to be a summary of 2023 but if it's happened since if it's, if it's already happened I go ahead and report it now so this is 2023 with a smidge of 2024. You've heard about Davos and all that happens there. Um, there was a broad international consensus on the urgent need of a two-state solution. And so many in the world talk about what we need is a two-state solution. What they mean by that is that Israel and, and a Palestinian state um, that coexist in the land of Israel. Um, and there's been back and forth, yes, we should do that. Sometimes Israel seems favorable, sometimes not. The feasibility of that, to me, is incredibly questionable. And that's been really brought out by this whole thing with, with Gaza. Um, a number of years ago, what, uh, Israel just moved out of Gaza. They just said, you can have the land. We're not going to be there. And what happened? It became an incredibly complex terrorist cell. There's more miles of tunnels under Gaza than in the London um, subway system I mean it's just amazing what they, t- they took the billions of dollars of international aid and 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 poured it all into developing a terrorist network and terrorist infrastructure um, so how can you have a neighbor that close like that that regularly is sending rockets can you imagine what would we say if uh, every week or two, rockets came in from Mexico into America or from Canada into America? Would we just say, well, that's, you know, they're just kind of unruly neighbors. No, we'd deal with that at some point. But that's what, so, and, and everything is so close. Like the distance between the so-called West Bank and the, sea, uh, the Mediterranean Sea, so, that, the, that, so the West Bank would be Palestine. The other part would be Israel. So that's less than 10 miles across. Most rockets can cover that. And so what do you, you know, how do you have a peaceful coexistence with a nation that wants you to, to wipe you out? That's a struggle. And that's why uh, so far I have not been willing to be considered for president of the United States. <clears throat> I wouldn't want to have to be, try to come up with a peace plan that would be, a, you know, it's a mess. And that's why I say, but I, I'm glad to know that a, 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 there is a peacemaker coming. Matter of fact, he he, he bears the title Prince of Peace. But until then, um, I don't know, but but here's the point. Can you imagine if a world leader came on the scene and actually brought peace? And and the way Daniel 9 describes it, it'll be such a peace that it will include the sacrificial system restored in the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. That is astonishing and, and so the world will, st- will step back and say this man must be absolutely amazing if he can bring that kind of peace and they'll be right he'll be an amazing man the Bible calls him the antichrist but you could see if someone could come up and say I've got a peace plan and I can make it happen the world will eventually worship him so so one thing we say is that the, the tribulation period begins with a peace covenant with the Antichrist. It hasn't come yet, but we see an interest in it, and they're constantly pushing. One day someone's going to come in and say, "I can make this happen," and the world will take notice and follow him. One of the other things, as I just mentioned, that's described in the in the Bible, is during this tribulation period, um, there will be a restored Jewish temple in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. Now, that, if, if, if you know the world that, that part of the world, that's just a, many people say that's absolutely incomprehensible. A hundred years ago, people were saying, they read their Bible and said, look, it says Israel's going to be a nation in the land. And people said, you're out of your mind. That's not literally true. It, it's not literally possible. 1948, they're a nation in the land. The Bible says the temple will be restored. And some of the passages, of course, Daniel 9, 27 we've mentioned, but Jesus refers to Daniel 9 and says, When you see the abomination of desolation written by described by Daniel, know that the time of of my return is near. And when he says, and when you see that, he says, Get out of Jerusalem, because it's going to get really bad. But what does that mean? Jesus was predicting. The temple would be there and that, and, and that uh, the Antichrist would desecrate it as described in the book of Daniel. Jesus was saying, watch for the signs of Daniel. The temple will be rebuilt. So here's in the news. There's an Israeli TV report that says almost everything is ready for the third temple. Um, and and that part of what's bringing that about, you've, you've heard me talk before about the, the red heifers, the red heifers that are described in the temple. Let me explain that. A heifer is a cow that hasn't given birth to a calf, right? And the um, New Testament, or the Bible says that uh, the temple would be rebuilt. Well, for the sacrifices of the temple to go forward, uh, there has to be a certain purification process. And to purify the implements and the people who will serve in the temple, they need a special holy water. Water can be found in many places. Holy water requires, it has to be mixed with the ashes of a red heifer. Well, red heifers are rather rare. But um, there is evidence that we may be on our way to having the red heifers. And you remember we talked about this last time. Uh, some farmers discovered some heifers that seem to match the requirement. And it's a very stringent requirement. Uh, there can't be two white hairs together. There can't be a blemish. There cannot be a scar. And many cows, you know, they, they give them earrings. It's kind of a fashion these days, and you have an earring. And 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 that would disqualify a heifer. But by, for some reason, this, this rancher didn't do the ears of this and they discovered, I have a, uh, what looks like a red heifer. And they've actually sent them to Israel from Rockwall, Texas. Okay? So they, they're right here, local, and they, they moved them over to Israel. Um, they're happily awaiting their fate. Uh, but so far, they continue to be um, ritually pure and pass the test. And so that's why they're talking. They're, almost everything seems to be ready. Um, I have a brief video. We'll see how this works. There they are. I don't know if you can pick up the volume on that. Well, well, well. Well, let's they just they're say, there just they, say they, they are. They are. Um, and and oh, okay, so, so, this, so I'll, I'll tell you what, tell you I can tell I can you can what, tell what you this what guy's is. saying, and you have to believe me. <laughs> <laughs> He's walking around the site. So to make, to go from heifer to ashes, what do you need? Fire, right? <laughs> um, they have to be burned, in a spe- and, and so this is a spot, they're standing on the spot that's already been set aside. They, they, it doesn't happen on the Temple Mount, but it has to happen within view of the Holy of, Holy, of where the Holy of Holies belongs. So this is a spot on the Mount of Olives overlooking the Temple as required by law, uh, you know, the rabbinic law. This is where, so they've already bought and prepared the area where their heifers are to be burned and turned to ash. By the way, they say there have only been nine red heifers up to now. In the whole history of Israel. So a little bit of ash goes a long way for purification. And the rabbis believe. That there will only be 10 heifers. The 10th red heifer will bring in the period of the messianic return. Or messianic coming. So anyway this is the place on the Mount of Olives. Where they plan on burning these red heifers. The heifers, There are red heifers. They have to reach the the appropriate age. They're not there yet. But so far. They're ready. And that will be instrumental in restoring the temple. And so this is interesting. Uh, we've heard about the terrible desolation of October 7th when Hamas invaded Israel, killed some 1,200 Israelis, many of them asleep in the bed, men, women, children, captured at the time over 200 hostages. It's, they've made some releases and some have died. It's a little over 100 still being held hostage. But why did they choose that time and what motivated them? This is what they said. We look back 100, and, and they're celebrating that what they've done. We look back 100 days to remember an aggression that reached its peak against our path. So they're saying the Israelis have been aggressive and we had to stop them. What was that aggressive act with the bringing of red cows into Israel? The red heifers, are uh, an application of detestable religious myth. In other words, what are they saying? The Jews are saying that these red heifers will help them rebuild their temple, which will desecrate the Al-Aqsa Mosque. And so bringing the red heifers was an, a horrible act of war. Therefore, October 7. So isn't that interesting? The Muslim world, the Hamas world, is looking at that red heifer thing and saying, you guys are going to build a temple. And we're, that's, that's grounds for work. Imagine when the, so the, the an antichrist that could come along and say, we all agree, the temple is built, sacrifice is offered. But, but notice that, so, so the red heifers was part of the whole October 7th issue. Just to show you, so, so is there talk about a temple? The Jews are talking about it. Hamas is talking about it. Uh, Here's just another illustration I have. Um, The rabbis petitioned the government of Israel to allow a Passover sacrifice on the Temple Mount. This has been going on for years. Every year at the season of Passover, you don't need to have a temple to offer. You just need an altar. And and you need priests. And they've got the priests ready, trained, certified priests. All they want to do is bring up the stones, put up an altar, and burn a Passover lamb. And every year, they, they keep saying, can we do it? Can we? A fellow was arrested recently because he was trying to bring uh, a lamb up onto the Mount of Olives, um, or on the Temple Mount. So in other words, the, 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 rat, the, the effort continues to be there. Is this the year that we can move forward? Can we at least build an altar to offer a sacrifice? The Jews want to restore the temple and they want to restore the sacrifices of the temple. Now, when I say the Jews, you know that doesn't mean all the Jews, right? There are secular Jews, there are religious Jews, but even not so religious Jews believe that's part of their tradition. So, all that to say, the Bible says there'll be a temple built. Is there an interest in it? Yes. Is there a move towards it? Yes, they have so much ready to go. They're just waiting for the opportunity to build that temple. The Bible times also describe that the end times will be a time of a one world government. Um, so I just thought, you know, it's when I say that the the, the Bible says there'll be a, a ruler who will come and rule over the world. Um, we can't figure out who we think should rule over America. Um, and uh, don't get started on that. <laughs> but um, but the point is what would it take for the world to say we recognize we need a real this is the guy we want to rule the world we will submit to him is there a move towards a a, a willingness for a one world ruler a couple things i just bring out here's an interesting article from a member that was written by a member of parliament in denmark welcome to 2030 and that's just six years away She says, and she's describing what 2030 will be like. I own nothing, I have no privacy, and life has never been better. Now, the first two lines, we read that and say, oh, this is horrible. And then she goes on to say, and isn't the world grand? So she goes on in her article to say, won't it be wonderful when there is no private property, when there is no privacy, Matter of fact, this was already described, wasn't it? 1984, the book, (laughs) you know. um, So she's saying, here it comes, folks, and really, we're going to like it. Now this isn't some non-significant person. This is a member of parliament in Denmark. So just this idea, we're looking for the day of that kind of a domination. Many of you have heard of uh, Jordan Peterson, uh, who uh, is an outspoken on a lot of issues. Um, He said some things uh, about, I think, transgender issues, and so he was required by Canadian court to undergo um, mandatory coaching program uh, to help him think more clearly. Now, if you're familiar with some of the totalitarian governments that have come along, that's exactly the kind of things. They, uh, they have a, a, a training program where you go off and get re-educated so that your values co- you know, fit with the totalitarian government. This is Canada. Our friends to the north saying, because you, and, and not, and by the way, one thing the things, he's a psychologist, but it's not about what he did or said to any of his students or to any of his councilees, but just public statements that were not approved. And so he's to continue to be able to keep his license, they're going to mandate that he go through uh, retraining so that his statements will fit with the public norm. So that's that idea of, you see this move towards a totalitarianism. You've heard of Elon Musk, um, he made this statement, he was, he was talking about, he made this statement. Uh, he said a single world government could lead to the end of civilization. At, but he, So he went and spoke at the World Government Summit. Now Again, I've not been to the summit, I've not been invited, but what does that tell you when they have a summit about world government? Well, he is one of these guys that because he's been very successful, uh, incredibly uh, significant in the kind of tick. Uh, businesses that he's established you know so that people want to hear what do you say and and he makes the remark you know um he says a world government can actually lead to problems he says I know this is called the world government summit summit but I think we should be a little bit concerned about actually becoming too much of a single world government so he's saying to them um hey guys I'm not sure I'm not sure if I'm really on board with this idea of world government but the whole point is people are saying we need a world government. Now, here's an article that uh, was published from someone from the uh, London uh, School of Economics. He says, It's time to seriously consider the advantages of a world federal government. Now, why would, we, we, they, why would we, they do that? Well, they, what they're saying is more and more problems are world problems. Now, some of you, if I can ask you to think back to ancient history, Remember 2020 and COVID. By the way, I, I heard recently that some people are suggesting instead of AD and BC, it should be BC and AC, before COVID and after COVID. Have you ever found yourself talking about something? Well, that was before COVID or since COVID. Um, and so, uh, but, that, but that was a global problem, wasn't it? And so what they're saying is, see, here's a global problem, uh, this, this epidemic. So we need a global governmental agency to solve the global problem, like the World Health Organization, uh, which is kind of a scary when we think of their role in all of that. Or another global problem is climate change. Now, it used to be called climate change that, you know, when, when the seasons change. Well, there's a change in climate. It's now hot. It was cold a while ago. And in Texas, you can get a lot of climate change in a week, can't we? Uh, but but in other words, that's a global problem, and so we need a global government. You see how it can be, and, and so that's where people are clamoring for saying more and more we are interconnected. The whole COVID thing really spread widely, quickly, uh, the disease, because we are such a globally interconnected thing. Just a week or two ago, uh, an alert was put out, someone coming from somewhere else, came into the United States and passed through two airports in the Washington, D.C. area with measles. And so they had to put out a notice. If you were in that airport, watch for the following uh, symptoms. But the point is, due to international travel and such, um, an outbreak of Ebola in Africa can become a problem in America, as it did. And their whole argument is, well, see, these are global issues. How ineffective to deal with it on local levels. We need a global government that will address these problems. So that's the move towards a global government. The Bible says in the end times, the Antichrist will be a one-world leader. He will have a global government. Um, In the end times, there will also be a one-world economy, a cashless society, uh, passage that comes to mind is revelation 13 verses 16 to 18 speaking about the Antichrist's false prophet he causes all both small and great rich and poor free and slave to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads so that no one will be able to buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name here is wisdom let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for it's the number of a man his number is 666 Now, again, as you know, throughout history, people have tried to figure out who that 666 is, what it is. I think we'll know at the time. Matter of fact, Paul will tell the Thessalonians, I understand you think you're in the end times. The problem is, if we're in the final days, then we know who the Antichrist is. But we don't know who the Antichrist is, so you didn't miss the rapture, we're not in the end times. But in the end times, believers will know that's the Antichrist. And they'll know what the mark is. Some people are anxious. You know, did I, um, when I went to that uh, park, they, they made me wear a bracelet or pair of, put a stamp on my hand to tell that I paid. Was that the mark of the beast? No, it was the mark of the park. Don't, don't worry. <laughs> um, but it'll be something like that. Now, as you go through it, you say, yeah, oh, yeah, I've already paid, right? And so this will be a mark that if you don't, and it'll be, that you're taking, it'll be a sign of your loyalty to the Antichrist. And so the old book of Revelation says those who take the mark will not go to heaven. In other words, you choose Antichrist or you choose Christ. You can't have it both ways. But part of his program will be to, to control the economy. How do you do that? Well, well, there's lots of theories, but one of the ways you can have a controlled world economy, and that's the point I'm, we lead to, a cashless society means it's all digital. You know, if you are paying cash, then there's a lot of privacy. You know, people can't track your payments quite that easily. But if you're cashless, then they, then everything you do is, being, is trackable. <clears throat> now, some of you know that. Like, uh, you know, we, 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 we shop at Walmart and we, we will sometimes do it where you can go pick up the groceries. Have you ever noticed? And so when we go in there, you can tell them what you want, and they can tell you, oh, by the way, this is what you bought last time. So they you know. So they, they know. And, and so if you try and say, well, I want, the, I want margarine instead of butter, then they would say, no, you can't do that because you like butter. You don't know. They, but no, it's, they, they can track you, right? And so here's a, an item in the news. Are we on the verge of a so cashless society? 80% of payments in the U.S. being made digitally in 2022. So 80% of payments were digital. You know, do you have maybe some of your bill where they go straight to your bank or straight to your credit card? Isn't that nice and convenient? And when the, with the cost, of, um, the cost of stamps almost equaling the cost of the bill, um, it's so nice, isn't it? It's all digital and easy and convenient. 80%. Four in 10 of us are ditching change altogether. You know, they've got now, you go to McDonald's and you buy a hamburger or something, and it's that little thing where you can put the change. Because they hand you change and say, what would I do with that? You know, our view of change is changing. Research suggests a transition from physical currency could take place sooner than we once thought. And again, um, that just leads to the opportunity for control. Um, here's an article that came out that, that this actually comes from a uh, congressional uh, investigation. There was an alarming surveillance. Feds have asked banks to search private transactions for terms like MAGA and Trump. So in other words, you make a credit card purchase. They're telling the banks, we want you to look for these kinds of transactions. According to this analysis, uh, the Financial Center of the U.S. Treasury Department warned, so this is the federal, our federal government telling banks, of, uh, they warned them about extremism indicators that include transportation charges, such as bus tickets, rental cards, or plane tickets for travel areas with no apparent purpose. Or the purchase of books including religious texts, subscriptions to other media. And they said watch out for purchases at places like Dick's Sporting Goods or um, Bass, because that's where people buy guns sometimes. So so our federal government told these banks we want you to track purchases of things like sporting goods stores, travel that doesn't seem to fit, um, religious books like a Bible. Watch out for those evidences of a dangerous extremism. Now, I didn't put it in here, but I've been heard over the last couple of years there have been some banks that have shut down uh, certain political groups or religious groups that they don't agree with and say, we will no longer allow you to have transactions. We'll no longer handle your account because you're buying things. You're doing things we don't agree with. And so um, all of a sudden, an or, a, a, a Christian organization has to scramble because everything's all set up. Or everything goes through this bank. And now the bank says, no, we don't agree with your values. So we won't handle your business. So you see, a cashless society is a controlled society, very quickly. Uh, Here's an article on the benefits from, again, someone writing in in, Davos. The benefits of a cashless society. This is my vision of a true cashless society. There's an exchange value in its entirety, just like cash, and it requires a national government, rather than banks or the like, to act as the payment provider, effectively becoming a state-backed utility. So, what he's saying is, what we need is a cashless society, but for that to really work, it needs to be a government controlled uh, financial situation. That's exactly what's going to happen in the end times. So, you know, if I say we're going to have a one world economy, people say, no. Well, nowadays we, we recognize we have a, a world economy, but this is going to be a world regulated economy, uh, and we see the move toward that. By the way, um, this is an interesting uh, diagram that shows um, the, where mobile payments go. These are the ones where you know mobile payments are becoming adopted. Notice top of the list is China, Vietnam. The um, United States is like third, third up from the bottom. China is at the very top of these, um, where m- payments are the, the key. User penetration rates and transaction values. Why is that significant? China is famous for its um, controlled economy, for social credits. Uh, literally, they track how many footsteps you take, and if you're not taking enough steps, then they're not gonna let you get on the bus, you need, more, you need to walk more. If you're not doing the right activities, you are not allowed to travel outside of certain areas or have certain kinds of jobs, go to certain schools. And so here, you know, one-third of their economy is mobile transactions per completely traceable. Are they are you buying the right things? And so that, that just shows you this move towards that. Here's another article of interest. Um, well anyway that 's on the economy let 's let 's work to another thing. The Bible indicates in the end times there 'll be a one world religion <clears throat> so a one world government a one world c- a controlled economy a one world religion if you read and for example in second Thess- Thessalonians chapter two verses three and four, it talks about the fact that the antichrist okay in, in Jan- daniel chapter nine verse twenty seven he sets up the temple and the worship system for the Jews through his peace covenant but in, we're told in 2 Thessalonians 2 that he will take over that temple for worship of himself and Revelation 13 says an image of the Antichrist will be set up in the temple for worship that's the abomination of desolation that Jesus and Daniel predicted a world religion is there any lead towards a one-world religion? You know, if there's, if there's one thing that divides us, it's religion, isn't it? You know, what do they tell you? Oh, don't talk about politics or religion. Well, this is going to blend them. I mean, we can't, we can't even get our own, within a denomination, We get, people can't agree, right? And we're saying, how in the world is a, could it going to be a one-world religion? Well, there will be. And are there trends toward that? Uh, here's an interesting article. There's an, the Abrahamic Family House was inaugurated in du, in Dubai. Uh, what does that mean? Uh, it is a uh, in Dubai, which is an Arabic Muslim country. They set up a the Abrahamic Family House. Let me show you a picture of it. There are three buildings there: a mosque, a synagogue, and a church a mosque, a Jewish synagogue, and a Catholic church. And so what they're saying, they're all Abrahamic religions. They're all religions that honor Abraham and see, look, we can all get together. And so this shows you this idea of, yes, we have different religions, but can't we get together? Well, the Antichrist is going to say, I'm going to solve that problem of religious division. Everybody just worship me. Um, A Israeli futurist has said this, uh, AI, artificial intelligence, will soon write a new Bible. Artificial intelligence can create new ideas. It can even write a new Bible, he said, seemingly casting a lie. So he's saying, um, artificial intelligence is going to write a new Bible and a new religion for us. And so we don't have to worry about these competing ideas and all this. We'll let artificial intelligence create our religion. He says in a few years, there might be religions that, act, that are actually correct. In other words, artificial intelligence will give us a, a correct religion. Just think about a religion whose holy book is written by an AI. That could be a reality in a few years. So here's a guy looking to the future and saying, you know what? We're going to have a whole new religion Um, generated by a computer and since it's generated by a computer it must be right and therefore everybody will agree we'll set aside these man-made traditions for a computer generated religion now of course as Christians we know better right there are lots and lots of man-made religions but we already have a perfectly generated book the Bible given and inspired by God but they're going to say, you know what, computers are better than God, so we could have a one world religion. So, now I'm not saying that's going to be the one world religion, but I'm just saying, you see that, that move, how, do we, how can we bring religious unity? We've got it, artificial intelligence. Let me just, one more, other example that Pope Francis uh, has reiterated that religions must unite in the service of brotherhood. So here's an article. Over the past few days, Pope Francis has once more renewed his office, his oft-spoken calls for increased interreligious dialogue and activity, reawakening concerns that leading prelates have made in the wake of such statements over the years. And so he says, religions must increasingly intertwine to promote fraternity. So here's a recognized world religious leader, right, the Pope, and he's saying. We need to more and more intertwine rather than divide. Well, that's the kind of thinking when you can imagine the Antichrist coming along and saying, I've got a solution. Just worship me. I'm the one who brought world peace. I'm the one who brought world prosperity." You know, if I can put it an example, think of, of Hitler. Uh, they called him the leader, der Fuhrer. They had terrible they had terrible economic problems, terrible all, all kinds of problems. And Hitler came along and says, "I'm going to solve your problems." And he did. And so many people worshipped him. But, but he was an amateur compared to the Antichrist. And he will come along and the world will say, "You must be worthy of worship. You brought peace. you brought safety. You, you, bring, you speak sanity instead of the insanity of all these religions. So, uh, so all these things point to the fact that what the Bible says the way things will be in the end times, we're moving towards it. A one-world relig- one leader, a one-world government, a one-world religion, a one-world economy uh, in ways that 50 years ago people would have said, not on your life. But now we can see becoming more and more part of it. Well, on that happy note, we'll stop. I'll pick up on what the Bible says predicting about Babylon. And I myself have been a little surprised. I wasn't quite on my radar until we're doing some work on this. Uh, The Bible says Babylon will rise again and be a world economic center. They're on their way. But that's after lunch. So... um, Let's uh, let's have our closing song, and then I will pray. <clears throat>